0: Welcome to the very first episode of the Two Christian Dudes podcast. Uh, this is a show where I sit down with my good friend Randy Kay and we interview interesting guests about topics that you might be interested in. Uh, for season one, we are going to be talking all about near death experiences. And so for this very first episode, we've invited Dr. Jeffrey Long uh, to come on and share with us. He is the founder of the Near Death Experience Research Foundation. He is also best known uh, for his New York Times best selling book. Evidence of the Afterlife, the Science of Near-Death Experiences. Uh, Let me bring these gentlemen into the conversation. Well, Randy, I'm going to pitch to you. You, You've had some more personal experience than I have with Dr. Long. Tell us a little bit about how you guys connected and uh, whatever else you'd like to share.
1: Dr. Long and I connected um, with a mutual friend, John Burke, who wrote uh, Imagine Heaven. And then uh, this has become one of my favorite books, Evidence of the Afterlife which uh, details numerous cases, thousands of cases, I think the largest number of cases researched by anyone uh, in the world. And uh, Dr. Long was part of this uh, series that was taped. And I grew to respect him for the sake that he uh, knows more probably about near-death experiences, certainly than anyone I know. And uh, you know, his expertise allows him to to determine what, what is a legitimate NDE, let's say, and also the mutual characteristics of near-death experiences, which we'll talk about here soon. So Dr. Long, uh, very excited to have you uh, on our program today. And um, wanted to just kick off, if I may, on the, the research foundation that you founded and uh, how, how that came about and and then, subsequent to that, some of uh, the key findings that you discovered uh, through your research over the, these past uh, number of decades now.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, Randy, great questions. The uh, website, the research website, nderf.org, is the Near Death Experience Research Foundation. I set that up over 20 years ago. Right off the bat, I had a very detailed survey for people to complete and share not only a narrative of their experience, but also. Uh, a lot of questions that I asked so that we could understand more about their experience. Right when I put up that that website and the questionnaire, I was literally trying to find out for myself, are near-death experiences real? I was fascinated by them and who wouldn't be about wondering what happens when you die. So I was very curious to go to the original source of evidence, that being the people that have near-death experiences. So that was over 20 years ago. We now have over 3,500 near-death experiences that have been shared and posted back on the website, and oh my gosh, no doubt about that. Near-death experiences are, in a word, real. And I learned that very quickly, and the evidence just gets stronger every day. What is now? You have researched now.
1: How many total cases would you say um, of near-death experiences?
2: Well, that that yeah, Randy. That's actually over three thousand five hundred that have been posted. Virtually everybody allows their experience to be posted anonymously on the website. So it's uh, well under 5% that disallow that. And so we, we, through integrity, don't post it. So it's really, you know, somewhat over 3,500 near-death experiences that have been shared. That's the glorious thing about the research that I do when you have it on the website. Anybody on the world can visit the website and read the full context of the near-death experience. You don't have to take my word for this research that I do. It's right there, plain view. It's the most transparent type of way to do research possible. And may I add, uh, while we're on the topic, portions of the website, including many examples of near-death experiences, have been, uh, that website's translated into over 30 different languages. So it's literally a global outreach. People all over the world have the ability to find in their native language, near-death experiences, complete the survey, Uh, And so it's it's truly become a global outreach. We we actually have well over 50,000 unique visitors every month. And and many of those visitors are from from all around the world.
1: It was one of the epiphanies that I had, Dr. Long, Mm -hmm. uh, in that I had my own near-death experience. And I thought I was uh, maybe an N of one or or maybe a hundred at most. I had no idea that there were so many of these experiences. So when we... When, when you define a near-death experiences, how do you characterize what constitutes a near-death experience?
2: Sure. Yeah. Randy, you're certainly not alone. A Gallup poll published in 1981 estimated that as many as 5% of adults had a near-death experience. That may be a little on the high end, but literally there's millions of people that have had near-death experiences worldwide. Now, to define a near-death experience it's exactly what the phrase states near death. In other words, you are so physically compromised that you're unconscious or clinically dead with absent heartbeat. Now, when you're that physically impaired and unconscious, you should, by the very dictionary definition of unconscious, not have any possible remembrance or memory at that time. And yet, people do have the memories. They, they recall what happened to their experience of the near-death experience is what happened at that point in time. No two near-death experiences are the same, but when you study a lot of them, you see a very consistent pattern of what we call elements, or what occurs, so typically observed in a near-death experience, and typically in consistent order.
1: The most typical uh, characteristics of somebody who has gone through a near-death experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, the The elements or characteristics are, again, what what's commonly, This it's not just me, Basically, every near-death experience researcher sees this. There's that life-threatening event. Boom, you're unconscious or clinically dead. At that time, a common element is what's called an out-of-body experience. Consciousness rises above the physical body, and you can see and often hear from that vantage point, while you're unconscious or clinically dead below, and from that vantage point, they can see, often hear, ongoing earthly events, including often vividly describing frantic efforts of others trying to resuscitate them. They then pass into or through a tunnel. At the end of that tunnel, there's often a beautiful, unearthly, mystical light. Uh, One near-death experiencer said it was like a million times a million suns, but it never hurts the eyes. It's just uh, overwhelmingly beautiful and mystical. At the end of that tunnel, there may also be a beautiful landscape, Uh, unlike anything on earth, analogous in a way that there's buildings, there may be plants, landscapes, but near-death experiencers may say, The colors of what they're seeing there, the flowers, their colors are beautiful beyond anything on earth that they ever knew or even conceived of. They may encounter music there that's beautiful beyond anything that they could have imagined in their earthly life. As the near-death experience progresses, they may have what's called a life review. They may be aware of part or all of their prior life. One of the really neat things about near-death experiences are these joyous reunions with their deceased loved ones, virtually all the time if they encounter a being they knew on earth, they're deceased at the time. And these are joyous reunions, even joyous reunions with pets. We hear over and over. Uh, even if the individual that they that died that they knew on earth died of a disfiguring or crippling or, or illness or advanced age or trauma, they're picture perfect health in the near-death experience. Uh, there's often other beings around there, and at this time they're feeling overwhelmingly intense positive emotions. That's very typical. Actually, the two most common words used as a scriptor in a near-death experience, and this is research, just came out the last couple of weeks, is light and love. They feel overwhelmingly profound sense of love, and, and uh, light is very commonly observed there. At the end of their experience, they may either be sent back to their body involuntarily, or they may be involved in making a decision about returning to their earthly body. Interestingly, the great majority of near-death experiencers do not want to return to their earthly body. They want to stay in that unearthly, if you will, heavenly realm. They feel intense love, peace, they're no longer feeling any pain. And they often deeply describe that they feel that that's their real home, that unearthly, heavenly realm. But ultimately at the end of the near-death experience, when they return to their body and they recover from that close brush with death, they've got their near-death experience to share.
1: Well, you you literally read my book, Doctor Long, I uh, textbook, you know, and that that in of itself was uh, initially shocking to me. Uh, I and, and when we went, went down to Texas and uh, met with other NDE experiencers, uh, I I felt like we were in a heaven reunion, you know, as opposed to high school reunion, because we share these stories, and then of course you encapsulated all of those stories with uh, your research and found that there were so many similarities, which kind of leads to the, the next question I have uh, for you. And that is um, those of us who have gone public with our stories for different reasons, mine was exposed through an interview from a pastor um, on a, for another book that I had written, a business book. Mm-hmm. And uh, there, is a degree of skepticism obviously some of it is is, as merited some of it is just uh from a biased perspective and i can empathize with that because i was a skeptic uh, of ndes before i had my own so um, how would you address somebody who is coming from the perspective like i was uh, previous to to my uh, death uh, how do you address that person who says? You know, I really do. Whether whether it be from a scriptural standpoint, or from you know just the fact that you know it's 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 imagined, or it's a subconscious, or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. How do you validate um, that these things are real?
2: Yeah, good question, Randy. With great sympathy, we were all skeptics. I don't think anybody should embrace what I just talked about for the the characteristics of a near death experience. Unquestionably, I mean, they're just too unworldly and seem too fantastic. So goodness, I think everybody, uh, you know, certainly it's reasonable to approach it from a skeptical point of view, but but hopefully with an open mind point of view. In other words, they're willing to hear about evidence. So you very quickly rattle off some of the evidence in my book. When you're in that out-of-body experience, what people see when they come back and check it out later, almost invariably over 98% of the time in my research, it's real down to fine details, even in that out-of-body experience during the near-death experience, if their consciousness is aware of something far from their physical body, way beyond any physical sensory awareness, if they check it out later, it's real. Uh, We've had people blind, including totally blind from birth, have highly visual near-death experiences, and that's impossible. You can also tell them, gee whiz, a very common precipitating event of near-death experiences is cardiac arrest, heart attack, if you will, which means your heart stops beating, Well, it's a very well-documented fact that the moment your heart stops beating, of course, immediately blood stops flowing to the brain. Within 10 to 20 seconds after a cardiac arrest, the EEG or electroencephalogram goes absolutely flat. There's no measurable brain electrical activity. It should be impossible to have a conscious lucid memory at that time. And yet that's exactly the time that people by the hundreds... had cardiac arrest, had a near-death experience, are describing others trying to resuscitate them or approaching them. So all of this points to the reality of near-death experience. And then finally, your heart may stop when you're under general anesthesia. And that, if you will, should be doubly impossible to have any conscious experience. And yet, they're very typical near-death experiences. They have all the characteristics we talk about, and they absolutely do occur. So all of this is uh, absolutely impossible for physical brain function to be doing it. Near death experiences are, as virtually every near death experience or beliefs, an experience of absolutely reality outside of anything possibly physical brain induced. Hmm.
1: You know, Sean, you have the uh, perspective that's unique from either of us, from the uh, clinical researcher uh, with Dr. Long and somebody who has actually uh, gone through a near-death experience uh, personally. So what's your advantage? I know from you coming from that vantage point of not having, you know, know much about it or what what do you think about this uh, in your take? Because I know we've become friends through this process. You know my story very well. Um, What do you think of all this?
0: Yeah, and it's been interesting in the past eight, nine years. I've talked to a number of people who've had near-death experiences heaven encounters and everything else uh, in between. And uh, I think for me, I'm always looking uh, not unlike what Dr. Long has gone after those, those common elements, those consistent things that uh, are often a part of everybody's story. Um, I typically want to explore maybe the question uh, somebody else isn't going to answer. I found a lot of people have had near-death experiences. If they talk about they encountered Jesus, they'll want to know well, what, what color was Jesus's eyes? What color was his hair? And um, they'll focus on uh, very, uh, sp- very specific niche elements of the experience as opposed. Uh, I'm more curious about the not only the overall experience, but how was somebody changed? How are they transformed uh, on the other side of that experience? And, and one thing I've seen, I know from your story and others uh, where people come back with kind of, you might say, a special knowledge or uh, I've even encountered people who've had abilities they didn't have before they had their heaven encounter or their Jesus encounter. Um, I have a good friend, Kevin Zadai, that we've worked with at both Harrison House and Destiny Image. After his Heaven experience, he could play a bunch of musical instruments he didn't know how to play before he had his experience. So uh, I'm curious, in your experience, Dr. Long, with the surveys, what sorts of things have people talked about? Special knowledge, abilities, things that they hadn't had before their experience.
2: Yeah, I've just finished analyzing the most recent responses to our survey, 834 near-death experiences, and we looked at a lot of what we call after effects. After effects are the changes that occur following near-death experiences. I would emphasize they often take years for people to fully manifest these changes. And interestingly, the changes continue to be more pronounced years to even decades after their near-death experience, which is you know almost unheard of with any other type of significant earthly life event. One thing that we notice is uh, certainly they have a greatly increased belief in an afterlife, uh, overwhelmingly people that have near-death experiences, in fact, I just crunched the numbers within the last week, 100% of people, over 60 people that have the most detailed near-death experiences come back believing the afterlife is absolutely for real. No question about that. Uh, not, not selecting any of the other uh, lesser strong options in the survey. So not surprisingly, from the near-death experiencers point of view, Of course, they know there's an afterlife because they personally experienced it. They know what lies beyond death's door, and they know that it's wonderful. And uh, so that experience is convincing to them personally. Also, there's a greatly reduced fear of death. Again, we ask survey questions. What was their fear of death prior to their near-death experience? And then later, an average of about 15 years later, when they share their near-death experience, overwhelming shift to a decreased fear of death for exactly the same reason. They know what lies after death. They know it's not to be feared. And I think it gives them the courage to live their life out loud and more wonderfully. Uh, they also have a dramatically increased example in response to compassion. They're living their life much more compassionately. Uh, percentage-wise, it's, it's just startling. Even as a seasoned researcher, I look at the numbers I'm like this is incredible. It's far beyond any other single life event that I can think of that changes people's attitudes and beliefs in terms of uh, increased belief of an afterlife, decreased fear of death and increased compassion in living their earthly life i can't think of any single life event that comes close other than a near-death experience um we do have some people that describe sort of special abilities and we we have a narrative response where people do that part of this compassion or or increased loving outreach they have to the world themselves too i might add is i think they're more aware they're more attuned to people they're more perspective they value people more. And so I think they tend to be more attentive. I think an awful lot of, of the so-called after effects or special abilities comes from a lot of that sort of intuitive awareness is probably just they're picking up nonverbal cues or listening more, they're more aware. And I think that has to do with a lot of these after effects. I'm not totally convinced there's any uh, you know, off the chart inexplicable paranormal things that happen, certainly not consistently, but certainly this changes people profoundly uh, they become much more loving. They may leave unloving relationships and seek out loving relationships. That's not at all unusual. They may leave their vocation they're in if they can't manifest their new values and seek out a new vocation. So the after effects are typically very powerful, very long-lasting, and and can literally completely change people from the perspective of others around them.
0: And what about uh the enduring nature of, of these memories? You know, I, I can't remember what I ate for lunch yesterday half the time. Uh, but it seems more often than not, people with these afterlife near-death experiences—they uh, have very vivid, intense. Like you, you ask them about it, and they're right back there in that moment. Why do you? Why do you think uh, these memories are so enduring for people?
2: Yeah, uh, and that's a great question, Sean. There's no question that the memory of a near-death experience is profoundly different from other types of earthly memory. Two major studies looked at that. One was the prospective study. Dr. Von Lommel published quite a while ago. He interviewed people that had an over 60 people that had a near-death experience within the first few weeks after their life-threatening event two and seven years later and he found that their remembrance of near-death experience which he obviously recorded as part of his research was absolutely verbatim word for word accurate uh, in comparing people sharing their experience seven years later. Uh, Leading researcher Dr. Grayson did a very interesting study where he had people repeat what's called the NDE scale, a research scale that asks about what occurred during the near-death experience. And, of course, you do that as part of your initial research with with their subjects initially. And he did that, repeated the scale over 10 years later with a large group of of people, and his published conclusion was that near-death experiences are neither forgotten nor embellished or added on, if you will, even over a decade after they occur. And that's very consistent with what I'm seeing. I, geez, you know, you have people that say, I don't remember what I ate for breakfast a week ago, but that near-death experience that happened 20 years ago, I remember that line by line perfectly without any type of break in the memory whatsoever. That That's very common.
1: You know, Dr. Long, that, uh, that's funny that you say that, because the older I get, the more vivid uh, my memory of heaven seems to be in contrast to... Uh, and my loss of memory in other areas. Now, one of the things that has surprised me, not surprised me so much as um, disappointed me, I'll say, is that I have been asked uh, you know, about my near-death experience. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's all about my encounter with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I, I could have been thrown into a trash bin, um, but as long as it was with Jesus, uh, that would have been fine with me everything that you described in terms of the beauty of heaven, in terms of all the facets that are breathtaking. But that, that encounter was so profound. And some of the people that with whom I talk or uh, who are interviewing or whatever the case may be are saying, you know, it's an orb of light. It's, um, you know, uh, an ethereal presence. It's, it's just something more nondescript. It's very universalistic. Um, how do you, How do you account for the variability of some of of those uh, near-death accounts?
2: That's a great question. Um, Many, many years ago, I was at a conference, and I was with another leading researcher, an indie researcher, and there was a a leading skeptic that was talking about that. We compared everything the skeptic said about near-death experience, and it, it was absolutely ridiculous, save one thing. And that was that the skeptics said, look, Jesus appears differently to different people in near-death experiences. And out of this huge list of notes both me and Dr. Holden had, had taken, that really was the one thing that stuck out Is a thing that neither of us with our experience could explain. So I researched it. Uh, I've now accumulated over 100 near-death experiences that describe Jesus. And by the way, may I add, it is, it is just mind-boggling to me personally to sit here and read these account after account of encounters with Jesus Uh, I will absolutely say I'm a stronger Christian for having gone through that process than I was before. Uh, Jesus is overwhelmingly described as loving, beautiful. But but getting right back to the point of the questions, first of all, why does Jesus look variable? Well, absolutely, no question about it, Jesus can be described as tall, not so tall, variable, color of hair, and I look specifically color of eyes, size of beard. So we have actually, interestingly at this point, a small series of near-death experiences. In which Jesus appeared to the, the person having the near-death experience and flat out says, How should I appear to you? And involve the person having the near-death experience in a choice. Why is that true? Because Jesus is not physical, he's not earthly in a near-death experience. He's like the near-death experiencer. I mean, the near-death experiencer may or may not appear anthropomorphic. They may appear at themselves as light, they may appear uh, some kind of, of unformed energy. So Jesus and the near-death experiencer for that matter, I mean, by the way, the, the person having a near-death experience, I mean, we had one guy that, that had lost both legs in life and there were both legs back in the near-death experience. So that's the disconnect. People perceptualize, uh, especially when you're in this unearthly heavenly realm, that it's a different type of physical earthly realm. That's not true at all. Everybody there looks, looks similar and yet can look different. So Jesus literally asked people, how would you like for me to appear? Now, as far as people that have this rather bizarre concept, oh, you must have seen an amorphous light unformed and said, aha, that must be Jesus. Well, that's bunk. Uh, The great majority of people that encounter Jesus are very clear. They describe hair, face, curls in exquisite detail. You're not seeing an amorphous ball of light when you see Jesus in a near-death experience. You are seeing Jesus in the near-death experience. Moreover, there's often in near-death experiences very consistently described you, Jesus, uh, I think I've had like maybe one or two near-death experiences where Jesus will say, I'm Jesus. And I think that was probably the childhood near-death experiences. Virtually all the time, when you encounter Jesus in a near-death experience, there's no need to ask. You know instantly that's that sort of nonverbal communication that has in, in near-death experiences. You know instantly, not only is that Jesus, but you know that with every fiber of your being. That's that sense of overwhelming love, that sense of connection, uh, everything that you could possibly hope about for encountering Jesus is there and beyond that. So that's uh, that's some insights about Jesus and near-death experience. I'd be interested if that sinks at all with your experience, Randy. Uh, sorry, I'm getting uh, a yeah, uh, yeah, Sean, I know you had some questions about Jesus, and I'll tell you yeah. what. I was so shocked when I read that many accounts of Jesus' near-death experience. I, I had to, there are times I had to walk away. I not mean, just sitting here in awe, just aghast. I mean, it is a deeply emotional experience, Randy, to be that aware of Jesus and that reality. That the love that is, even in a, in a loving realm of a near-death experience, it's off the scale when you're in the presence of Jesus, when you're around there. All too often, it, it's not what you would have expected. It's not like Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto you, go and do this. That's essentially unheard of in a near-death experience. Jesus is there to be loving. There, Jesus is there to be with you. Jesus spends much more time listening, being a part of you, being sharing with you, uh, than you could ever imagine from a Bible where it's sort of like Jesus getting a sermon. That's just not Jesus in a near-death experience. Like I said, uh, Randy, I uh, you know, if you, be interesting to hear your your comments on that if you can. But but this this is not a small number, Sean. This is uh, well over a hundred very detailed descriptions of Jesus. So this is this is uh, this is what we got here. And it and it's um, it, you just I don't know how anybody could read what I read and not change their belief about Jesus in a very positive way. It's That power it'd be like experiencing it. That's probably the only other more powerful way to experience what I did simply by reading accounts. Randy.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, um, I can, I can describe him vividly and that's probably the most common question that I've been asked, you know, what does he look like? Does he look like this? Does he look like that? And they try to relate it to a painting, which to me is kind of, um, marginalizing, you know, right. Jesus because, uh, he's much more than that. But one of the things that really impressed me, uh, about my encounter with Jesus, was that uh, he never, and this may be a surprise to some, he never said, I love you, because that love was that's was a just a part and parcel of everything he was and everything he did. So he didn't have to say, I love you. I knew it. I knew that he was wow. love, and he was consummate love. And that's that's the only time, really, I think I've encountered anyone, you know, mother, uh, father, father, um, you know, wife or children, uh, where somebody loved me so much, Jesus, that he didn't have to say it because it just, he exuded that in every facet of his being, including an immersive relationship with yours truly. And that, um, I was immersed in that love so that I became more loving. And that's, I think, part, what, part of what you were, uh, saying in terms of your research Dr. Long is that that love was imbued within me that extended to my returning. And so the love of Jesus Christ was so strong that returning back here could not help but uh, exude at least a part of that love uh, to others. It was transformative to say the
2: least. Randy, now I'm starting to work a little bit on keeping my composure because you hit on a critical point that I hadn't even conceptualize. You are absolutely right out of over 100 near-death experiences encountering Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, I love you, because he doesn't have to. Overwhelmingly, people know, my gosh, I felt it. I know it. They're not guessing. This isn't, you know, communication and verbal. This isn't something he has to say. It's Jesus is showing, doing, being, uh, love in, in a way that is something on earth. That's, that's a radically important point. I mean, you say to people, your loved ones on earth, you know, I love you. It's out of reassurance. It's out of, you know, communicating. It's out of, of sharing, you know, what you know to them. But, oh my gosh, you nailed it, Randy. Uh, in all those accounts of near-death experience, people know instantly, they felt it at and every, and, and every core of their being. In and out and through them, and in every way, they recognize Jesus' love for them. Uh, they were loved who they for who they are, what they are, everything that they are, and every part of them. And that's just uh, you know, it's radically beyond anything on earth. Even if, as you noticed, Randy, you can you can have people that love you on earth, but but the power of Jesus' love is simply overwhelming. That's that's the dominant feature of love. And, I, and certainly, you as other people have shared their experiences with me. It's like they carry that little piece of heaven. Back to their earthly life. I mean, how can you have that type of profound love and awareness, and know what that ideal love is? Know how deeply loved you are. That's got to impact you for the rest of your life in an amazingly positive way. Yeah.
1: Have, uh, absolutely, without without a doubt. Now, have any uh, as any of your research touched on those who have visited hell
2: um, have had that opposite experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are, uh, that's, that's my most common email question when I, when I do my research. So I thought, I thought about it and written about it a little bit. Um, it's, first of all, I would remind everybody that hellish near-death experiences, or if I call them objectively frightening or in an objectively frightening realm or aware of it, are very rare out of, you know, thousands of near-death experiences I have, I've only found a little over 20 that I think are very well-documented the significant majority of purported hellish near-death experiences out there are not really near-death experiences. They're what we call intensive care unit delirium. They have that accident or illness and they're recovering over days. And it's not at all uncommon for people to have frightening hellish experiences even uh, while they're in an intensive care unit for a whole host of reasons. It's a very well-recognized medical phenomena. And that is much more common than true near-death experiences that are hellish. But Uh, So always, always be careful about that. However, there absolutely are some rare hellish near-death experiences. There's sort of two classes of those. One, people in their near-death experience are aware of a realm that seems to be segregated from the rest of the heavenly realm that they're in. So they may be moving along typically with another spiritual being and they're aware that that's a place they don't want to visit. There's communication that's a very, uh, you know, very uh, awful place there. You don't want any part of that. So there's some awareness that there's a, a separate segment of, of uh, that they, they're aware of that's, you know if you will, visible to them in, the, in heaven, but absolutely not a part of heaven. So when people say there cannot possibly be hell in a heavenly realm, that's absolutely true. This, this hellish realm seems to be, from external observation, sort of discrete and apart from heaven. And then about the other half of people actually were experiencing the hellish realm and the most frightening stuff I've seen in my life is not anything I saw in horror movies or read in a horrible, you know, terrifying book, but are some of these descriptions of hell. And they are awful. It's, it's everything, sight, sound, uh, you know, smells, the, the terror. However, I want to point out a couple of very important things about that. First of all, it seems that when people end up in that hellish realm, many times they Simply call out God or Jesus, Jesus more than God, and they can be rescued from that hellish realm. That's a fairly common end to their being in a hellish realm. Second thing is, even after that experience, it's not at all unusual for people that had that to realize they had some issues in their earthly life, anger, guilt, uh, judgmental attitude. And they will come to recognize that that's literally the only experience they could have had, the only way that they could have come to confront those issues in their life and change to become more loving people. And they don't believe that that they're gonna be condemned to a a eternal unearthly hell. Uh, I think that me and most near-death experiencers don't believe that there's a permanent involuntary hell. Uh, I think these beings, and again, as best I can tell from these limited number of NDEs, these are people that basically chose to get themselves there, which I know is astounding, but probably not from a single choice, but from a series of, of decisions That brought them closer and closer to a realm of evil and when they end up in this hellish realm where they're around other evil demonic beings paradoxically these are beings like themselves they share the same values they're evil they want to destroy they hate Uh, they're angry they're bitter and interestingly i got to thinking about it but i think that these beings that choose step by step by step to find themselves in that realm in a way that's their heaven because they're around beings that are like themselves. Uh, they don't have to be known for being angry, bitter, resentful beings that like they would be in, their, in, in a heavenly realm. And so I think step by step, they find themselves there. I firmly believe that God has the ability to, if you will, rescue or pull out anybody that wants to leave that hellish realm. All they have to do is sincerely ask that, and unfortunately, in the heavenly realm, they're going to certainly have to be known as that profound spiritual error they made to get there. So I know that's not uh, that's not what everybody believes. And I would emphasize we don't know, but that's, that's my hypothesis. So if you hear differing ideas, they may be right. But that's my best guess as to how hell can be compatible with an overwhelmingly loving and compassionate
0: God. I guess one question I would tack on to that, Dr. Long, is in terms of Somebody who was not a believer, a practicing Christian at the time of their near-death experience, or maybe they were following a different faith. Is there any variation in what some of those folks might see in a near-death experience or how they process that experience?
2: Right. The, uh, we, we've done the largest cross-cultural study in existence, including scores of non-Western near-death experiences. And again, I just crunched these numbers in the last few weeks to analyze them. Again, the content is strikingly similar to typical Western near-death experiences. And these are predominantly people, uh, uh, Islam, uh, Buddhism, Hindu. Those are basically the top three non-Christian religions that we run into. But they seem to have strikingly similar near-death experiences as everybody else. With regard to religion, I had one near-death experiencer explain it. And this is consistent with what a lot of other near-death experiencers learned. They were in the presence of God during their near-death experience and actually asked God, well, what about people of different religions? And God showed them a mountain. And on the mountain, there were different people climbing up different sections of the mountain. They weren't aware of each other. Their path was completely different on their side of the mountain. But they were all coming up, trying to get up to the top of the, to the same destination at the top of the mountain. God said, this is what religions of the world are like. And that is probably the best expressed analogy of what I've heard from other near-death experiencers as well. So I think God and in God's infinite wisdom uh, accepts us all for who we are, what we are, and everything we are, even if we have non-Christian uh, beliefs.
1: Interesting. You know, I was a—I'm a former agnostic. I was a believer, a Christian, uh, before I had my near-death experience, but I was in a, a state of, uh, let's say— and antagonism, you know, why God, why have you abandoned me, state of mind, uh, which, uh, you know, God accepted me freely in that state of mind. Um, as an agnostic, I uh, I guess one of the things that dissuaded me from uh, Christianity was that, uh, that, you know, Christians are judgmental, uh, they're hypocrites, you know, all of the standards answers uh, for that. And uh, what was interesting that you talked about, Dr. Long, was those people who had the hellish experience that they almost wanted to be there, that they had abandoned whatever moralistic confines that kept them on the the so-called straight and narrow, Uh, that 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 was their domain. You know, they kind of found themselves in the, in the nightclub, so to speak, and they had abandoned all the, the moral principles that this world uh, sometimes uh, places upon us uh, to, to do good. And they were in their element. So, um, you know, it's, there are, you know, certainly scriptures that, uh, that speak to, uh, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, no one comes to the Father, but through me. But what's interesting is that in Islam, Jesus is a, is a prophet, <laughs> I accept it as a prophet. Um, and many other, uh, religions also accept Jesus as a historical figure, but, uh, that's interesting to me, your research and, and the kind of the mountain, because, um, uh, you know, that, that, that Jesus talks about the straight and narrow and, uh, you know, the near-death experience points to the afterlife. And then I guess how we have to figure out things here is, um, how are we going to enter into that, uh, afterlife?
2: You know, and that's a really good point, Randy. Uh, There's one thing you overwhelmingly see in near-death experiences. You're not told what to believe. And that's an extremely important point. So it's, you know, while in a near-death experience, you virtually never have somebody that says, go forth and be a teacher. Go forth and and do particular activities. And it's vanishingly rare that they ever seem to have some uh, external direction in terms of what they should believe. So very much we're here in our earthly life to, with with everything that's been thrown to us, come up with our own decisions, come up with our own path to draw closer to God uh, in the way that we think is best. And so, uh, you know, in the absence of clear direction regarding religious beliefs in, in near-death experiences, doesn't mean that there isn't, you know, that, that maybe ultimately that's not there. There they're really it, Whatever, in fact, one person has asked God and said, what's the right religion? Answer, whatever brings you closer to God. So I think that's, that's a journey that we all have to make here. Uh, I think it, it, the, uh, in near-death experiences, there's a very clear, uh, absolute, it's like the, there seems to be a prime directive in near-death experiences. That is our free will is operant. In other words, and to make, have free will, we can't be led or directed uh down too narrow of a path from the wisdom of near-death experiences. So I think that's part of a loving uh you know creator interacting with those persons having the near-death experience. So you know I'm not saying that there's a you know there are some religions that don't I mean you know ancient Roman religions part of it was you know you have the baby, you hold them out over a ledge, have the baby grab your arm and if, if they did weren't strong enough they'd fall to their death. Another kind of belief systems like that, and I think every, we all recognize that now with eyes of 21st century that that's wrong. So I think it's, it's, uh, it certainly behooves every person to get that proper path that makes the most sense and certainly manifests love on, in our earthly life and is closest to reality the best. And that's uh, there, there's not a direct as direct a path defined in near-death experiences as you do think, with the notable exception of Jesus uh, being a, a beacon on the path.
1: Very interesting. uh, Sean, I know you're you're smiling there, and uh, this has got to be for our viewers. They're just soaking this stuff in, and uh, some entered in maybe as uh, more skeptical, and others were like, I want more. You know, just give it to me. You know, and uh, for the broad spectrum of people that might be viewing this and listening to you, Dr. Long, you know, I think that... um, you know what would you kind of encapsulate uh, for the for the person watching this to say uh, as the greatest takeaway, kind of synthesizing everything because you have more information probably uh, than anybody on earth in terms of these things. Is yeah. there anything that you might encapsulate and say, okay, this is the this is the biggest takeaway take from from these thousands of experiences? Sure, sure. Oh, oh,
2: absolutely! Great question, Randy. Um, No one has to believe anything I say about near-death experiences. (laughs) There's there's no substitute for reading them yourself. Uh, A good resource would be to go to the website, nderf.org, and then go to, at the top, uh, under experiences, go to the link for exceptional experiences. And I think by the time you've read read 30 or even 20, I think you're going to very quickly see the deeper messages and near-death experiences in a way that I simply can't convey or don't have the time to convey here today, so there's no substitute for reading them, thinking about them, and uh, if you feel it's appropriate to, you know, respond to them in some positive way, well, join the club. That's, you know, it's been found that teaching near-death experiences, for example, in a variety, either, your know, colleges, medical schools, there's been some studies out there that finds that even, even teaching them and certainly reading about them Uh, Can really result in positive changes, if you will, after effects to some degree. So I sure encourage people to explore that on the on their own. Uh, Certainly, there's plenty of good books out there, many others than than mine. Um, But find out for yourself. Research. Be curious. uh, Wonder about the fact that people that have near-death experiences, out of the 834 that shared most recently on a most recent survey, 93.8 percent said their experience was definitely real. And these are near-death experiencers from all walks of life. So there's certainly a message in there. I think it's a message that speaks to everybody around the world. It's just a message of, you know, it's up to you as to what the message is and, and when the message occurs. And, and I think it's just, I think ultimately near-death experience is deeply understood. It's perhaps the most profoundly positive message for all of humanity as a whole that I can even conceive of. Wow.
1: You know, I do a fair number of uh, eulogies and visiting those who are sick and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, at the cusp of uh, death uh, within the hospital or the home even. And uh, one of the things that I've noticed, just anecdotally, is that those who were prepared uh, in a firm, with a firm conviction of what would happen after this life, they knew where they were going. Um, that those are the ones, certainly, and it, it's common sense, of course. But those are the ones that transition best and dealt with mm-hmm. uh, what is typically a very traumatic experience—that is, uh, dying and death. Yeah. So, um, you know, bottom line, I guess, is uh, you know, these are the people who have been there, done that, if you will. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the plethora of uh, stories that are out there that speak to that. And so being prepared uh, for that, uh, because, uh, you know, the Bible teaches us that there's no promise of a tomorrow and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that it could happen anytime. But also it's just good to, I think, deal with uh, these issues because there's a peace that uh, that comes as a result, I think, for people who who uh, understand that death is not the uh, the end-all.
2: Yeah. If only people could believe as near-death experiencers are almost uniformly believe, amazingly, less than 1% of people that have a near-death experience when they share it select that they uh, moderately or greatly fear death. I mean, it almost eliminates a significant fear of death. If only the entire world had that confidence in an afterlife, that, that uh, absent fear of death, as people would have near-death experiences are. What a profoundly positive change it would be in this world for people to you know, help die with dignity, uh, be incredibly reassuring to their friends, family, and loved ones during that process. I mean, we, you and I both do that. Of course, as a physician that treats cancer patients, I deal with that every day in my professional life, too.
1: Yeah, we have, uh, we had a Bible study on, uh, we have a lot of in San Diego, uh, all of the uh, military branches are represented here. And so Bible studies uh, that used, um, you know, the story that, uh, that I presented and and talked about, uh, you know, dying to meet Jesus. uh, And uh, that they found, uh, there were several told me, they found that to be helpful when they went into battle that it alleviated maybe some of the PTSD that some were experiencing because they knew whatever happened, you know, it uh, it was going to be okay. It was going to be good. Not just okay. Not it was perfect. actually going to be great.
2: Yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, that's just a, a profound example of how understanding and, and afterlife, however you come to that understanding, and, and that it's a wonderful afterlife and the death really isn't to be feared. Uh, I mean, as one near-death experiencer said, our earthly life is the boot, boot camp of our uh, eternal existence. And, and I think that's, that's good for the military, too, right there. So that would be, uh, that, you know, I think that's really true. And I think, uh, you know, we can, we can talk about this. And these are words of hope people. You know, go that extra mile and, and spend the time with the, the series that you're doing here, the 12, just the uh, podcast you're going to have talking about near-death experience. There's going to be a gold mine of information and perspective. I'll bet for those that follow through with the podcast you're doing on near-death experience, it's literally going to change their life. Uh, and, and very much for the better and, and certainly strengthen them in a lot of ways so that they can live their life more courageously, less fearfully, and, and more lovingly. They could take a little piece of heaven away from the show.
0: Wow. We, we should hire you to do the closing for us, Dr. <laughs> that mean Long. That was fantastic. That um,
2: was
0: <laughs> yeah, the book is fantastic. I don't think you would be disappointed if you picked it up. Randy has the print book. I listen to the audio book, whichever uh, you prefer. Uh, they're both fantastic choices. Uh, before we go, though, uh, Dr. Long, I want to have you give us a little bit more commentary on what people can discover uh, on your website. I see that you've got a lot of the information translated into a bunch of different languages. You got the place if people have had their own near-death experience, they can actually complete the the survey form that you have. There's so What's the range of things people can experience on the site?
2: Oh, great question. Uh, certainly, there's over 3,500 near-death experiences, but there's a lot of other experiences in addition to that we've got prayer experiences we have deathbed visions i mean we have a whole host of really extraordinary uh, human experiences sort of under the larger spectrum of near-death experiences all converging on that same message the death isn't the end that there really is an afterlife and a wonderful afterlife so certainly would encourage people to look at the experiences you know especially again to go to experiences drop down look at the exceptional experiences uh, they're profoundly uh, informative, I think, for people that do that. There's a lot of sections there too about questions and answers. You can find the link to our Facebook uh, and interact with a lot of other people that have this interest. There's certainly a survey, it's a, it's a huge one, but for those that, that have had a near death experience and, and have the time to take that on, that's fantastic. Um, you'll see that. What you won't see are things for sale on the website. We firmly believe that what people share with us freely. In in sharing our near-death experiences, we share back to the world freely. So that's very important to us and I think helps maintain the integrity of the website. But there's a lot of information. There's a lot of articles. People can find a great deal of uh, material there that I think is going to help them to be more confident about the reality of near-death experiences and understand that the significance of near-death experiences is not just for the person that had the near-death experience, It's for them as an individual they can take away that piece of wisdom that understanding that reassurance in the near-death experiences and take it into their own life
0: well and we'll make it easy like we do with every episode we'll have links in the show notes Uh, if you want to check out dr long's website you can find that at nderf.org we'll also have links to uh the various books that dr long has available as well And, uh, you know, for a first episode, this was a fantastic way to kick it off. I feel like we covered just kind of a wide range of what people can expect related to near-death experiences. I love that we focus on some of the commonalities and some of the differences. Um, And as you progress with us throughout this first season, I'm hopeful that you'll be referring back to this episode, also the information on Dr. Long's website and his books as well to process what we're going to hear as we're talking to some of our other guests who share about their own experiences with their near-death or afterlife experiences. Uh, Dr. Long, truly an honor. Thank you for sharing with us. It's been a total blessing and an honor to have you on the show.
2: Well, thank you much. Fantastic interview. Thanks to both of you. Uh, this, this was great. So I really appreciated the opportunity to share with you today. Great questions.
1: Thank you, Dr. Long. It's been a pleasure. A blessing. It's just, it's just